0: I wanted to I wanted to bring something out uh, really quickly to you and announce to you. It's kind of a big deal. I'm Carl, by the way. I will be your waiter today. Thank you for having me. Can I get you an hors d'oeuvre? No. Um, I'm I'm the pastor here at this church. Blessed to have you guys this morning. If you're new, if you're hanging out in the room, if you're watching online, if you're in the kids zone or in the courtyard or whatever. Hey, we're blessed. Welcome to church this morning. Anchor Church is a pretty cool church, isn't it, guys? What do you guys say? Would you agree? Okay, good. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, just a reminder. But. Uh, We've been talking about the Make Room for More project, and I want to just kind of hit on that really quickly, because it's our desire to build a bigger facility around here, is that God keeps on bringing people, you keep bringing your friends, we keep on doing all the good stuff that we're doing, but we're running out of space around here. Even just in the room right now, it looks pretty packed right here this morning, and that's awesome, but we want to make room for more. So God gave us the vision and the plans, and we're going to Build a new facility, a, a bigger sanctuary, remodel the courtyard, remodel this tent because it's leaking, and give this to the youth and multi-purpose, and all of this at a price of about four million dollars. So we're like, "Wow, God, that's a lot to come up with in three years." Three years, we hope to move into the complete new redesigned facility, but until then, we got to raise that money, and we've been doing that. And we taught this four-week series on how we're all gonna get involved together to make room for more in our church, but also in our lives as well, and so I want you guys to know today is the reveal weekend. We're going to give the big reveal on. We all did commitment weekend a couple weeks ago, and we all put in pledges of here's what we're going to give. This is our church. We want to make room for more of what God's doing. Like, we're a part of this thing, and so you guys gave. I gave, like personally, like, whoa, what's it going to cost me, and we've all just been involved in this process, and um, we actually got a whole bunch of pledges that came in, and I wanted to let you guys know where we're at. Again, we're shooting for $4 million in three years, but you guys ready for the great big reveal, the drum roll? Brrr, what did we come up with? Here it is. Go. 2249000 That's. Come on, we got to celebrate. That's big. That's big. You know why that's big? That's 56% of the total cost was pledged for in one weekend that this is a three-year journey that we're on. And even after service this morning, I had some people coming up going like, oh, I'm about to give. I got something to do with my job in a couple months, but I'm gonna drop some big money towards this thing. I believe in what you guys are doing here. So it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We got three years to come up with this, but 56% came in basically on one weekend. So thank you, Jesus, right there. And thank you, church, for stepping up and loving your church. And what we're doing, so we're really excited, we're really fired up about that. We're hearing all these stories along the way of people, people going, look, this built not only like into um, your church, but it's building into my, my marriage, it's building into my faith, because my wife and I were praying on this thing. We would have never prayed for something like this in regards to finances. And what's happening is it's, it's drawing us closer together. God's speaking to us. Amazing things are happening in our marriages. One person said, my spouse, I'm still waiting for them to come to Anchor Church to be a consistent member. But because of this and what they heard that's going on is the husband actually goes, I'm not there yet on the weekly, but we should give to this thing because I believe in what's happening over there. So the wife is just like, oh my gosh, it's a huge step for a husband to be involved like that. So. God's doing some big stuff around here, and we're super excited, and that's a great number, and I love that number, but that's not the most important number. That really isn't. You know what the most important numbers were? Listen to this. In a four-week series where I was teaching on, it definitely had spiritual connotations, but I was basically teaching on a building project, like a building campaign, which means the pastor's talking about giving money. The pastor's up there talking about giving. They're going to build bigger. They're all this. What you would normally think is not a very super spiritual type of series. Look at these numbers that I thought were really cool. In four weeks' time, 136 people said yes to Jesus. Isn't that cool? We had 39 baptisms and we had nine baby dedicated. That's big. Come on. You better celebrate that. Because because those numbers are what that first number is all about. Like that first one, the only reason we're trying to get that money, build this property, do all that we do, is because lives matter. Because what you don't even see on the screen is all of the people's lives that met Jesus during that four-week period. There's people that came to church during that series, which you would think like, you'd probably come and go, oh, they're talking about money, this is not the church for me. But there's people that joined our church, some of you are here today because you're like, we like what God is doing at this place and we trust. And so God's on the move, and these are the numbers that really matter to me. Can I get an amen for that? That's cool right there. That's really, really good. So anyway, we're bottom line, we're just trying to be the best church that we can possibly be. We're trying to, to make an impact. We're trying to leave a legacy. We're trying to affect the world around us. We we want to be as great as God allows us to be. And today in the message that we're talking about in Life About Dave or Life with Dave, the series is we're talking about what's so great about Dave. Because Dave, again, he became the greatest king of Israel and all this cool stuff, but it wasn't necessarily the stuff that, that humans, that mankind would think of, the skills, the strategies, all of that kind of stuff that was, is what made David great. And today, as we look at some of the factors that made David great, here's what I hope you can catch from it, is that Dave is just a normal guy like you and me. And he had some attitudes and some decisions and some, some ideals in his life allowed him to become as great as he was but they're attainable for you and me it wasn't that dave was like reading every john maxwell book out there and he wasn't like a a leadership guru and he wasn't like step on the little guy to climb the corporate ladder and he wasn't like this overly driven personality that was like i can do everything self-confidence he wasn't that guy and so the things that made him great are things that we're going to look at today that you and i can can attain in our lives and it just looks a little bit different because I'll be honest with you, it's not a pride thing, but I want to be great at whatever it is that I do. And I think you do too. Like, I want to be a great pastor. So I I watch all the podcasts. I, unfortunately, I even watch some of my old stuff and videos and that's hard. You ever seen yourself on video or heard your own voice? So this is what I got this week. Someone said I sound, my voice sounds like Mark Ruffalo. Right? You guys, Marvel, the, the Incredible Hulk guy, that guy in the comic. This is what I most often get, Ray Romano. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, hey, how are you guys doing? I don't know why I hate to hear myself, to see myself, to listen to myself I hate it And yet, um, I, I want to be the best pastor that I can be So I watched that stuff so I, I recently watched, actually last night You know what I did? I watched the past four messages Just the intro, at least, part of The past four messages that I preached And it, honestly, this one wasn't because I was trying to be a better pastor I was trying to pick which shirt I should wear today And I didn't want to <laughs> wear the same one that I wore last week, and you guys think I'm dirty and I don't do my laundry. So like, sorry, there's my vanity, there's my human nature, but I wanna be the best pastor that I can be. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, I wanna be the best dad that I can be. I wanna be a better husband, I wanna be a better friend, I wanna be better at whatever it is that God's called me to, and I believe you do too. So today we're just looking at, how can I be great? What are some, some attributes that David had that I could model my life after? Now, as we start the story today, we're in 1 Samuel 17. If you wanna turn your Bibles there, First Samuel 17, we're talking about hope. And at this point in time, God's people, the Israelites, were in a place where they were searching for hope. They're looking because things look pretty grim. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. But where they were at, they were scared, they were terrified, they were in need of hope. And a lot of us are right there too. Man, is there is there hope for my marriage? Is there hope for my job? Is there hope that I could kick this sickness that I have or this addiction that I have or or this wherever I'm at right now there they're looking for hope. And the Israelites, God's people, they're looking for this. And this is why, they're at war with the Philistines. The Philistines were the greatest opposing nation to them at this particular time in history. And they wanted to defeat the Israelites, take their land, their property. And this, that's just how it is, right? So there's, there's two armies at stake right here, right now. God's people, the Israelites, and the Philistines. And this is where we pick up the story as they're looking for hope. The Philistines... Now mustered their army for battle, and they camped between Soko in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim, which sounds like a pretty cool Star Wars name, doesn't it? Like if they, R2-D2 was trapped on the snow planet of Ephes Damim. Like I just, I look at things through the lens of Star Wars and Marvel comic books sometimes. Excuse me. But they're at Ephes Damim, and it says this, Saul, who is the first king of Israel, he's got all of his... Armies, And it says, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. So just picture this in your mind, is that there's this great valley of Elah, and you got God's people on one side, and you got the Philistines on the other. They're looking at each other. They see their huge armies. They're trying to intimidate each other, and they're going to beef in the middle of the valley. So they're camped here. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel, one guy comes out, and he's in the valley, and he's looking at the Israelites. He was over nine feet tall. Now, this is crazy. He's a monster. He's massive. He's huge. And you say, there's no one nine feet tall. Well, I was looking through history, and there is like in I think the 40s, as as recently as like the 40s, there was a guy that was over eight feet tall, tallest man at the time. But if you look in not just the biblical history, but in, in world and cultural history at the time, that there was people, there was known to be races of people. They found their armor and things like that that literally were this big. So here comes a champion, biggest, tallest, huge monster of a man comes out of the Philistine army. His name is Goliath, and this is what it said about him. He wore a bronze helmet, his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He's that big that just his armor alone is 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as, and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So this isn't just some little like throwing spear thing. He's got this huge, long, heavy steel-tipped beam, this javelin, That the armor bearer would walk in front with the shield up and he could just like skewer guys all day long because he's got that nine foot tall reach over the head and he could just work guys. So, this is like a big deal. He's a big man. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, now check this out, Saul, the king, not just his armies, but Saul, the king himself, and his Israelite armies, when they heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Every single day for 40 days, they've been camped on the hillsides. Every single morning, Goliath rolls out, grabs his cup of coffee, and then just starts insulting the other nation. Every morning he's taunting them. Hey, bring your best guy out here and we'll fight like this. Winner takes all. And he does it every time he wakes up in the morning. Then every night before going to bed, he shouts it again. And every time the Israelites are just like, ah, ha, You know, just they're terrified. 40 days of this. But do you understand that their king, their hero, their leader, Saul, is terrified as well. So they're in this place where the Israelites, God's people, have put their hope in Saul. You know why they put their hope in Saul? Saul, when he was picked to be king, it says he was tall, he was handsome. It says he was head and shoulders above all the other men in Israel. That here's what they're thinking. Goliath is their best dude, our best dude is Saul. Saul, where are you? We're all small, you're tall, you're our king, you better do something to fight this guy. And when Saul said no and he was terrified and he let them down, they lost all hope. Remember I said, we're in a situation here in this story where the entire nation of Israel has lost hope, and they've lost hope in their king. And this is just like us too many times. We get disappointed, and we lose hope when we put our hope in the wrong things, don't we? In the wrong things or the wrong people. We put our, all of our hope in our success and our money and the new job we got and stability and all of this, and then what happens when that fails us? Oh, they, make, they made cutoffs and budget cuts, and oh, you, you don't have your job anymore. Whoa, 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 whoa what, what? And what happens is our hope was in that. Our hope was in success. Our hope's in people sometimes, right? Well, I just, I mean, when I said I do, I expect that they're going to meet all my needs. Well, she probably thought that too. And then when you let each other down, you're walking around with no hope in your marriage and your relationship or or disappointment. You understand that it's real easy for us to lose hope when we put our hope in the wrong things. And they're going... King Saul, you're our hope. You're head and shoulders taller. You're the man. Our hope is in you. And now they're at this place where they're disappointed. Now, here's the interesting side note about this. God never wanted his people to have a king anyway. Never intended that. 400 years earlier to this moment happening right here, God set up this governance thing called a theocracy, meaning you're not going to have a king. I'm the king. God said, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your king, and he set up this system of judges, where at this point in time with Samuel, Samuel's the last judge of of Israel, and Saul becomes the first king. How do we get there? Well, God said, I'm going to set up a system whereby I institute these judges. I pick from among you one man who I'm going to talk to. He's going to be a prophet, he's going to be a spokesman for me. Now, you don't have an earthly king, I'm your king, and I'm going to tell you what to do through this. So there have been 40 of these judges at this point in time, but God's people were saying, no, we're tired of that. We don't want that anymore. We want to have a king like everybody else has a king. No other nations on earth had this theocracy system. They all had kings, and so God's people, Israelites, are going, we want to be like the cool kids. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king too. Here's how it went down back in 1 Samuel 8. Samuel, who was the judge at the time, says, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be the next judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and they perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Saul. Look, they told him, you're now old and your sons are not like you. They said, look, you've been our judge, but we, we, we don't like who's coming up after you. Your sons are not going to be cool. Here's what they said. Give us a king. To judge us like all the other nations have. Now, here's a problem with that request, is that God had never set up his people, his nation, to be like the other people. He had established them for a purpose and for a reason. The reason was that through his people, he was going to ultimately bless all of humanity, which you know the story that Abraham, right, the father of the Jewish nation, but basically down the line in his lineage all these years later, was going to come Jesus, who is going to basically be the light of the entire world. So God had been saying, I don't want you to have kings because I want you just to be governed by me. I don't want to let that king stuff get in the way. I'm going to change the world because I want people to look at Israel and go, whoa, we recognize that there is a God in Israel, that he is the one true God, the king of all kings, and that we need to know him. That was God's original intent. No king. God would be their king. But then it says this in verse 6. Samuel the prophet was displeased with their request, and he went to the Lord For guidance. Here's what God said. Do everything they say to you. For they're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they've continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way that a king will reign over them. In other words, a king's going to tax you. He's going to put you to work. It's not going to be all roses like you think it's going to be. Let him know that it's going to be hard. And the people insisted, nope, we still want a king. So they turned their back on God. Now, this is a low time in the life of Israel, and the, the picture of who they are as a people group. But what it does is it actually sets up one of the greatest stories about one of the greatest men in the Bible. And this is where we pick up the story of David. And so for him to become great, it. We go to the backstory of when he was just a little, unknown, young teenager. At this point in time in this story, he's only 15 years old. Last week, we talked about David and Abigail. He's probably older, 30s or whatever, dealing with Abigail and all that. But this is only 15-year-old David. So we read the story. The reason I entitled the message today, What's So Great About Dave? Because we pick up the story. He's just a kid. He's the youngest of, of eight brothers, right? He's got seven older brothers. They were all big and buff and awesome. And three of them are fighting in this war that we're seeing right now against the Philistines. They're warriors and all this. And David is the scrub of the family. He's a runt of the litter. He's the youngest of them. He's home. He has the worst job taking care of all the smelly sheep and the goats and all of that kind of stuff. And he's, nobody would look to him and go, oh, here is a mighty man of God. Here is a great person. They're going, he's the little kid. Like, the guys around in the army are going, look, I, I know his older brothers. Like, I, we went to school together. We played varsity football together. Like, like, we know them. They're pretty awesome. But that little kid, there's nothing great about him. Like, he's, does, wait, isn't he like a musician? Yeah, he, I heard he plays the harp. Yeah, he plays the harp. He carries a slingshot. Like, he's a lover, not a fighter. Like, there's nothing big about this kid, right? This David. But we pick up the story, and we see in today's story that even at 15 years old, David is al- already showing us the attributes of what it takes to become someone really great. So here's the first thing I want to talk about today. The lesson that we can learn, it's on the screen, is that Dave had confidence in the valley. That Dave was great, listen to this, Dave was great because his hope was in someone greater. That's what made him great. You're going to see that in a minute, that you can become great so long as your hope is in someone that's greater than you. So this is where we pick up this story, is that he ended up becoming this great king, but here's David's heart. He never even asked to be king. He never intended to be king. He never thought that the power and everything was in him. But Dave always knew one thing, that he knew who the true king of Israel was. And that was God alone. And so, yeah, I love this. This is where we catch this like, glimpse of who David was, is that, that he was confident in the hard times in life because it w- wasn't really his battle anyway. He just kind of like, why, why me? I love this about, there's a story about Elvis Presley and a quote that I read. Anybody know Elvis Presley in here? You ever heard of that guy? Okay, good cool he's like uh-huh whatever like king of rock and roll I don't know that's a weird Elvis move don't ever do that again Carl um hey, Ray Romano uh but there's a story about Elvis Presley that when he was considered the king of rock and roll and everybody's like dude you're the man you're like that's crazy you're you've all of this all these hit singles and all the stuff you're in, in movies and all that he's a terrible actor but he's he made it big right And they asked him, what do you think about being the king of rock and roll? And this was his reply. This is so cool. Look what he says. I'm not the king. Jesus Christ is the king. I'm just an entertainer. Isn't that a cool quote of Elvis? Yeah? How many of you guys are ready to go like dust off the eight tracks and like start listening to Elvis again? Like, yeah, it's cool. I saw his Bible at the Museum of the Bible. They have Elvis Presley's Bible. He had notes in there about like God and Jesus. And like, it's really cool. I believe that he knew God. Life got distracted, all of that. But I do believe that he knew this fact this fact right here that Jesus is the king but see that's what's so cool about David just as a young man he never asked to be anointed as king of Israel he's just the shepherd boy but he kind of kept that mindset and this is what we're after here today because the confidence has to come from God not ourselves yeah I mean that's really the point point. one of the first thing that we're seeing in David is I feel like David so much guys like so many times, like I look at our church and we're growing and we're doing good things and we got a lot of work to do. We're not perfect. No church is perfect, right? But we're trying and we're successful and God's, God's granted us some really, I don't know, just cool influence in the community and the world around us. And I look and I'm like, how did I get here? Why am I on the stage here today? Like so many days, I'm like, I have critics, right? We all have critics. Like, and I know all of you love me, right? You guys, at least you guys love me, but there's some people that have criticized and they're just like, you know, like, well, why are you a pastor? Like, you're a hypocrite. You're this, you're that, like, you don't qualify. And you know what my response is? I know, right? (laughs) Like, that's my response because I'm like, you're right. Like, I don't know how this happened. But here's the truth of the matter is this, is that I do know that there's a God that is with me and he's in me and he believes in me and he's called me to the position that I have. And so I know it's not about me and I gotta walk in the confidence of knowing that he knows what he's doing, and I'm just going to kind of obey what he says. Are you guys hearing me on that one? And in our lives right now today, you might be in that place. And this is where we find David in this 15-year-old self. His confidence and his hope was in someone greater than him. So he visits his brothers. He's home taking care of the sheep. Dad sends him, go check on your brothers. They're fighting in the battle, and go deliver a care package. You know what David is doing? All 15-year-old David himself, he's delivering cheese. <laughs> he's like, here's some cheese and bread, guys. I'm here. They're like, oh, here comes the harp player. Here comes little David. Here's some cheese, guys. Like, he's coming to visit in the battle. He sees, he visits his brothers, and he goes, oh, what's up with everybody? Everybody's lost hope. Where's the king? He's terrified, too. What's going on? Everybody is hopeless right now. And in this, he realizes, because Goliath comes out and says everything, and, Del- and David's like, oh, that guy's big. What's he saying? Oh, my gosh. He's saying all this stuff. Now, this is David's response to hearing Goliath talking smack on God. 1 Samuel 17, 26 says, David asked a soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? And the guys around him got to be thinking, oh, it doesn't matter to you. You're just a little cheese boy. Like, why are you even, <laughs> you're not going to get it, you know? But he's like, what will, will anybody get? And it was a really awesome reward. You get uh, one of Saul's daughter's hand in marriage you get riches, and your whole family gets exempt from all taxes in Israel. So it's pretty good, but he's asking this, well, what does anybody get? And then he goes, who is this guy anyway? Who's this pagan Philistine anyway? That he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Dave doesn't care about himself. He's just like, who's talking about my God that way? What? You know, like, the cheese boy is mad. He's mad. (laughs) So Dave um, says this, and his brothers, listen, you got to catch this. Because we too often think David is only up against the giant. His own family writes him off. Hey, well, who's going to you know, do something about this? Psh, not you. Go back to taking care of the sheep. That's what they literally tell him. So his brothers are against him. He goes to King Saul. Hey, King Saul, I, let me fight him. I think I can take this guy. And King Saul's like, no way. You're ridiculous. You're a kid. There's no way you could do this thing. And then David says this. Oh, but I fought a lot. I've fought a lion and a bear before taking care of the sheep at home. A lion came one time. I grabbed them, clubbed them to death. Same deal, the bear, like I got him. And they're like, what, really? And so this is what Saul says. And he t- says it to, to Saul in verse 36, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for here's the reason why. For he defies the armies of the living God. He's like, whoa, and like no one steps to my God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally said, all right, man, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. But do you understand that the battle was actually won right there? When David in his heart had the confidence to say, look, I fought a a, a lion and a bear before, and it was God who rescued me then, and it's God who's going to rescue me now. As soon as he decided in his heart, it didn't even play out yet, that David already knew confidence in his God is, I got this thing because God's got me. Like, whoa, that's heavy. But then listen to this he realized in his head right here that the thing that allows me to fight a giant is the fact that God was already preparing me to fight because he had me fight a bear and a lion before. See, too many times some of you guys are sitting right now in your fight going, this is a giant, this is the biggest thing ever. And God goes, no, no, this is just a bear. Like, you're going to fight this one so that you can be prepared because I got a bigger fight for you someday over here. But along with the bigger fight comes a bigger victory. It was a bigger celebration, the bigger blessing. So don't be so freaked out like this is the worst thing to ever happen to me. There's worse on the way. <laughs> so take heart in that. But this is David realizing, wait, I got to fight that dude. God actually prepared. I thought that was pretty ter- That was a bad day when a bear attacks your sheep. But I pulled it off because of God in my life. And now I'm walking into this thing with that nine-foot-tall guy. I think I got this. You guys understand that God is always preparing us? So don't give up right now because all you got is a lion or a bear. There's a giant coming, but you're going to fight this one. You're going to be okay. And God's going to give you the strength for the next victory. Amen? Amen. So that's just a side note. So, so here's David. The odds are all against him. The enemy is against him. He's bigger than him. The weapons are against him. His family is against him. His nation is against him. His king is against him. Size, skill, experience, age. We're all stacked against young David. Like, just everything, not to mention you could say, oh, poor David, he was in a valley in life. No, he literally was in the valley of Elah. Like, he was literally in the valley, physically, and then all the odds were stacked against him. You ever feel like you're going through one of those valleys? Anybody in here? You ever walked through a valley before? Like, there's times in my life I feel like I've bought real estate in the valley. Like, I'm just, this is where I now live, a condo in the valley. Like, you're just stuck in it. And some of you guys, you're like me. You may have some really good experiences, But you're also walking through a long valley and you don't know how you're going to pull it off or how you're going to get through it and this is David he's in that valley but even in the valley here's what he learned if your hope is in God you need not fear like I got a giant I gotta I gotta go up against my my family's like making fun of me the king doesn't think I can do like nobody's I don't even know how to carry a sword like I'm a shepherd all I got is a slingshot he goes I'm going up against this thing but you know what my God he's done this before I can be confident he's going to do it here today. That even in the valley, Anchor Church, if your hope is in God, you got this. Like, you don't need to fear. You can walk in confidence. Listen to how confident David was in God. And again, here's just a little glimpse of he wasn't confident in himself. Is that Goliath had a sword, a shield, a javelin, all of this stuff, full armor, head to toe. All David had was a slingshot. And you know that he went down. And basically, he was feeling that God was going to give him victory with a slingshot. But here's the human side of David that said he didn't even have confidence in himself. He didn't just grab one rock, right? The Bible says he grabbed five, because here's what David's thinking. God's going to help me do this. I'm going to take this dude out with a slingshot, but I might miss a couple times. (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't trust myself. I know God's going to do it, but it, it may take the fifth rock to do it because that is a crazy shot to make. But it just shows his confidence was in God, not even in himself. He picked up those extra stones. Dave was great because his hope was in someone greater. He had confidence in the valley. That's a word for somebody here today. You're in that valley, have confidence. Your God is greater. He's bigger. He's got you. But here's the second thing about Dave that was so good is David also had humility on the mountaintop. Not just in the valley when things are hard God, can I trust you? But even on the mountaintop in life when things are really good. Look what it says. David walks out to fight Goliath. Goliath laughs, calls him ridiculous. He starts insulting him and his God again and basically threatens David. Here's how David responds in verse 45. He replies to the Philistine, look, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. You think you're pretty big? Think you're tough? Look what he says. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. And by the way, I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead, your dead bodies, the dead bodies of your men, to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with sword and with spear. Because I got one of these, a little slingshot. He says, this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Isn't that one of the boldest statements you've ever read any, anywhere? A 15-year-old coming out, and you could say, he was just a young kid, arrogant, cocky, naive. No, it wasn't that. it? That he actually had the hope in the God of Israel, the king of all kings, the Lord of heaven's armies, that's going to come out here, and he's not going to do it in the way the world looks at. He's going to do it with a young kid that is carrying cheese and bread to his brothers, and he's got a little slingshot, and God's about to bring a great victory this this day today. And he tells this to his opponent, and he goes, by the way, you're dead. (laughs) You're done, this is going down right now. And then you know what happens next. First shot, boom, one blow, KO. He's out, right? Goliath down. Think about this, the accuracy that God must have given David, because we just read that he had a bronze helmet on. Bronze helmet covering his head, bronze chainmail all over his body. The only kill shot you could possibly have is just like right here, really, right? And here's David, just with this accuracy that God gave him, zzz, zzz, bang, takes him down, chops his head off, grabs the head, ah, I did it. You know, can you imagine 15 years old, you're like, you're in the moment, yeah! Right, to your brothers, what now, ah, right? Like, take this cheese, you know, like, what? I don't know. He's like, ah, he's in this moment and just, the accuracy, there was one time, let me tell this story. I was, I was uh, riding in a boat in Coneyway Bay with myself, it was Pastor Tom and another one of our friends. And we'd come in to dock the boat and there was this bee that was after us. And, I mean, it wasn't Goliath, but it was a bee and it was like chasing us. <laughs> and we're like, ah, trying to unload stuff and the bee just kept on harassing us and chasing us. And we're like, ah, the bee, the bee, and we're trying to whack it with slippers and all this. And the bee was just like laughing at us, like, he-he <laughs> You know, and it was like, ah, taunting us. So finally, we unloaded this stuff, and my friend's like tying up the boat or something, and and me and Tom are just sitting on the side, we're like, oh, this stupid bee. So we start grabbing these like little gravel, and it's like 20 feet away, buzzing around this one flower, and we're like, we're gonna get that bee, like with gravel from 20 feet away. We're trying to throw rocks in, hit a bee out of the air. So like two of us, we got this thing. We got him, how's this? Third try, I knock the bee out of the air. Bang, whoa, yeah! And my two friends are like, yeah, the bee, we got the bee. And I'm like, I'm so excited. Like, can you imagine? That's a bee. (laughs) And David is 15 years old with one rock, and he takes down a nine-foot-tall warrior. Like, can you just imagine? So now, this is what I want you to feel, this moment that David is, like, so fired up. Because of this, the entire Philistines freak out. All of the Israelites are like, yeah, David, right? Everyone loves him. They defeat all the Philistines that day. He gets to marry the king's daughter. He becomes best friends with the king's son. He's given riches, tax exempt for his family. He starts to become a mighty warrior, a strategist. Uh, Saul elevates him, puts him commander over all of these people in his army. Here's what's happening to David now. He went from valley to mountaintop really quickly. Suddenly he's the hero of the entire nation. He's the most feared enemy of all the other nations. And suddenly this young kid in the next few years, he's quickly exalted to the top and he's living the high life and he's on the mountaintop. But see, the mountaintop is really what determines your heart and your character. And for us as people, it's it's one thing to find God in the valley. Because like they say, everybody in prison finds God. You're in the worst place in your life. Everybody's like, I need God. But it's a whole nother thing when you have success, you have fame and popularity, and you're doing well with your family, you're doing well with, with your job security, your status, and all the people like you, and, and you're just, you're, you, you've got it all. It's real easy for us to forget, well, I don't really need to pray anymore because I got everything. I don't really need God so much because I'm already here. And we get so addicted to how good it feels to be on the top, the pinnacle, on the mountaintop that we'll struggle and fight to do anything under our own power, to stay there and to preserve that feeling. And you know what happens is we start putting hope in ourselves. And we put hope and take it away from God. We went from the God that got us from the valley to the mountaintop, and now it's all about King Carl on the mountaintop. Look how good I am, and look at what's going on here. And this is the potential pride and control that David could have encountered. But the awesome thing about David is what made him great is he was humble. He had humility on the mountaintop. See, when you're rejoicing on the mountaintop, here's what David knew. When you're rejoicing on that mountaintop, never forget who put you there. Never forget that it's God. It's that same confidence you needed in the valley. It's still, it was him. It's not you. And what enabled David to have such a long kingdom and awesome rule and be the example that he is to us is he had this mark of humility on his life. He wasn't perfect. We'll hear about that in next week's sermon. He messed up a few times, but for the majority of his thinking and the way that he processed things was, man, i got to put God first. It was humility. He was humble. He put God first in everything he did. He prayed a lot. If you read the scripture, David was always a man of prayer. Every time he went out to go fight a battle, every decision that he would make, he prayed over it. Do you? Do I? Every decision that, that I make... God, is this the right thing? Am I spending my money wisely today? Am I talking to that person? Is that a good thing? Or are they a bad influence on my life? Like, God, should I be involved in this type of a activity today? I don't know. But David prayed over everything. He was close to God because he was, he was humble. That he focused his entire nation back on God. They'd gotten away. And he kept, I'm going to build a temple. And the temple is going to be a permanent place for this nation to know that there is a God in Israel. A permanent dwelling place. You can't build it. Your son's going to build it. That's cool. I'm going to give the plans for it. I'm going to do whatever. Like, he wrote all these psalms. All these psalms are basically hymns and poems and love letters to God, right? Psalm 119, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the entire Bible. You know what it talks about? How much David loved the law of the Lord. God, thank you for instructing me. Thank you for telling me how to live my life. Lord, I, I wouldn't have a life if I didn't know how to live without your guidance. Lord, I love it. I read it all day long. Thank you for giving me your words. Like He was humble. It was all God first. He was a worshiper. There's a point in scripture where it said, David danced before the Lord with all his might. He got ridiculed and and criticized by his own wife. And he goes, I don't care. I'm willing to be a fool fool for God if that's what it takes. But God first in my life, no matter what. This is what made David so great, is that he was humble. If you want to be great too, learn this lesson from David. It's two words. Ready? Write this down. God first. Live your life like that, that you say, no, I'm only great because I know who's greater. And if you keep yourself on that mountaintop rejoicing, because some of you are in that area right now. Some of you are in life, you're on the mountaintop. And that's a good place to be. I'm not saying it's a bad place. It's a place that we're all trying to get to is like, this feels good my life is thriving. Like I've, I've got success in certain areas. This is all good. Just remember but to say, thank you God for getting me here. Thank you God that it's you that keeps me here. And God, I, when I'm on that mountaintop rejoicing, I'm never gonna forget that it was you that got me here in the first place. This is how David lived his life. C.S. Lewis, Lewis has this quote about humility says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And what that means is that you don't go around living life like, I'm, I'm just a loser, I'm terrible, I'm this, I'm that, all down on yourself. Is that you, David understood that he was a great man. He understood his gifts, his abilities, his personality, his charisma. He understood that he was great. But the thing was, he just thought of himself a lot less. He didn't, he didn't think of himself as like, what does it say, not thinking less of yourself, It's just thinking of yourself less and thinking more of God first, right? Here's what David wrote in Psalm 25. I want to read read you these verses just to end this thing here. Psalm 25, one of the psalms that David wrote. In verse 1, he says, O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. So God, in verse four, show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. And then this line is so good, the classic line to end this verse. All day long, I put my hope in you. There's there's a story of David's life right here. David had confidence in the valley that was in God, not himself himself. And he had humility on that mountaintop that was not about him. Again, it was God. All day long, I put my hope in you. You know why I think that's such a powerful last phrase right there? Is that David is saying, hey, when I wake up in the morning, I gotta put my hope in you. And all throughout the day, I'm just reminding myself, I'm driving in my chariot on the way to work or where, you know, David is going and he's he's thinking I'm delivering cheese. My hope is in you. Like wherever he's at in life, throughout lunch, throughout the afternoon, throughout dinner, before he goes to sleep at night, my hope is in you. You know why I think he said all day long? Because he could have just said, When I rise in the morning, I put my hope in you. When I go to sleep at night, he said, all day long, I put my hope in you. You know why? David recognized that there's a very real enemy out there, that all day long, he's trying to bring you down. All day long, the enemy is trying to get you back to that valley of despair so that you believe in the wrong things, put your hope in the wrong things, and you lose hope. All day long, that same enemy is trying to lift you to the mountaintop and, make you think that you're the one that got yourself there he's trying to in, entice you with either pride or with despair and here's the thing about the enemy he's doing it all day long around the clock he's not taking lunch break he's not going on holiday he's not out for a smoke break in the back just give me 15 minutes like do people still smoke anymore it's vaping now yeah like the, the little box like <laughs> that's incredible like I, I almost want to try it just because it looks cool, but I know it's no good. But, but I, like, I pull up in traffic and I see guys and, and all of a sudden their whole car is just like, white. i am like Whoa, fire, fire. And then all of a sudden it's like, vanilla. Oh, okay, <laughs> you're just vaping. But here's the thing. The enemy is not taking a vape break. Like he's not on your life and he's going, well, I'm going to work on him a little bit now. David goes, all day long I put my hope in God. And that's a word for us here today, is that David was a great king because he knew who the greatest king was. Like anything that made him, him great in his own life was simply because he put his hope in someone who is greater. So two words for you here today, confidence and humility. Put your hope in God, confidence in the valley, humility on the mountaintop. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for David. But I always say it, I can't wait to meet him when I go to heaven see if I can go grab lunch with him for like a thousand years and just talk story, Lord. But there's so many heroes that I, I, I look up to. I can't wait to, to just know them and meet them, Lord, I thank you for our, the example of their lives. Thank you for David, Lord, and just what he teaches us in life. Lord, we, we want that. We want our hope to be in you all day long. Lord, help those of us right now that are sitting here or hearing this message. Maybe they're, they're live streaming it wherever you're at if you're hearing this and you're in a valley you're walking in the valley, maybe you're living in the valley and it's been a long time. Lord, I pray that you would give them confidence in you. Not hope in any of the world around them, not even in themselves, but confidence that only comes from you. Lord, that the valley that they're in right now might just be the next step to to the greater victory. Lord, I help them to find that confidence and trust in you right now. Lord, I also pray for those of us that are Rejoicing on the mountaintop, and you've been blessing us, and we're walking in your favor. Lord, help us all re- always remember that it all comes from you and that it's you that put us there. And that we want to live grateful, worshipful lives because of how good you are, Father God. All of this to say, Lord, we want our hope to be in you all day long. Help us just to stay in that place, Lord, that the enemy wouldn't come in with despair or with pride to draw us away from you. But Lord, our hope is in you all day long. I pray right now for anybody in the room here today that Maybe this is your first time to church or uh, maybe God's been speaking to you. Maybe you've come coming to church for a while, but you've never really made a commitment for him. Maybe you've read the Bible before. Maybe you've come to church, you're kind of interested, but you've never made any real, honest to goodness, heartfelt, full commitments to God with your life. And if you're feeling that, maybe today, maybe right now you're just saying man, I, I need to know this God that loves me, that's got my back, that, could, that I could find confidence in his power and that he would keep me humble even when things are going really well. I need that kind of a God in my life. If that's you right now, I would love to lead you in a prayer that will put things in the right perspective and the right relationship with God, that would allow you to walk out of this room knowing for sure that you're forgiven and that you are a Christian and that God's got your back. And maybe you've never prayed this prayer before, but today's the day and you're ready for it right now. Or maybe you're someone that you've come back to church after a long time being away and you've walked away from God and you know it. Well, God's right here. He's been waiting for this day, for this moment right now for you to come back and he wants to get back in that relationship with you. So maybe this prayer is for you to re-engage in that relationship. Either way, I want to lead you on a prayer that's in a prayer right now that's going to change your eternity. And if you're willing to do that, here's what I'm going to ask. Everybody's eyes are closed and heads are bowed. And I'm about to say a prayer right now to bring people into relationship with God first time or just maybe a recommitment and if you want to pray that prayer with me i'm going to pray the words out loud i'm not going to make you pray them out loud i'm going to ask that you'd pray the words that i say you'd make them the words of your heart to god right now he hears you he honors that heart right now after service you can go and do as the bible says confess it with your mouth meaning just go tell somebody that you're a christian now that you love god that you follow him now god loves that but right now let's deal with your heart and if you'd like to say this prayer right now with me as i lead you in it I'm gonna ask you one thing. I wanna just know who I get the privilege of praying with this morning. So with everybody's eyes closed in the room and their head bowed, if you're about to pray this prayer with me, I would love for you to let me know right now by simply raising your hand. Could you lift your hand and just go, yeah, Pastor Carl, I want to pray that. Keep them up, because I want you to know that I saw you. I see you. I see you. I see you over there. I see you, sir. I see you, ma'am. I see you. I got you. I got you. I see you on the side. I see that little hand right there. I see this one up front. I saw one in the back over there. I just want you to know that you've been seen. I see those hands over there. Amen. If you're in the family room, I got that hand right there. If you're in the family room, in the courtyard, you're watching online. Check it out. Somebody saw you. God sees you. That's all that matters right now. So put your hands down right now, and I want you to just engage in this prayer. As I say it out loud, this is your prayer to God. Here we go. God, I'm here today, and I realize that I need you in my life. I need that confidence. I need that humility. I need to know that you got my back, that you're on my side, and that you've forgiven me for all the wrong that I've ever done, ever will do. Lord, that in this prayer right now, that I can be born again, a brand new creation, as I let you know in my heart that I believe in Jesus and what you did at the cross, Jesus, in dying for my sake, and then rising again to prove that you have power over death itself, that, Lord, if I put my trust in you, then all my sin, my shame, my, my mistakes, my flaws, my guilt, my, the baggage, the depression, the weight of whatever's in me, Lord, you've died for that and redeemed it so I can be born again, a new creation, a child of God, so that I could be made holy. And Lord, I'm going to need some help in my life from here on out, living for you. But because of you, you give me that help available through your Holy Spirit. So Lord, everything you have for me right now from the bottom of my heart is yes. Yes, I will follow you all my days. Yes, I will get a Bible. I will go to church. I will receive the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to change me because I can't do it alone. Lord, I promise to get water baptized as a symbol of dying to my old self and being born again, a new creation. Lord, everything you have for me from here on out, Yes, God, I will follow you. Thank you for loving me, for forgiving me, for starting a brand new work that's gonna last throughout all of eternity. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen, Amen. let's praise God with all these people.